You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa, and Boroma. Hey, it's Anissa. This month, we have the return of the woolly mammoth. We've had more reasonably sized yaks lately, but we had a lot of dramas to talk about when we sat down at the end of June to record this, so settle in for a long one. But it's road trip season, so maybe that's a good thing? This one is premiere heavy. We discuss our first impressions of a lot of shows, as well as some ongoing and final thoughts on other dramas. As always, thank you to our beloved patrons for making this podcast possible. Find our page with extra goodies and livestock-themed tiers at patreon.com slash dramasoverflowers. So, maybe grab some coffee, definitely a snack, and let's yak! everyone, I'm Saya. I'm Anissa. And I'm Farmom. Welcome to the long yak. A very long yak, because there are so many dramas to get through. <laughs> we kept yeah. we kept adding new dramas to the list because <laughs> we forgot how many dramas we were uh, watching. <laughs> look, there were a lot of uh, premieres in June. So. And somehow we seem to have taken it upon ourselves to sample everything. My contribution to this is one drama, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's a drama that I would not probably have watched so i feel like we kind of evenly distributed ourselves with these yeah we so we've covered a lot of ones between the three of us true i mm. i do want um uh, never mind i i always disappoint so i mean i'm like i watch this <laughs> drama totally and then i'm like <laughs> oh you did say that you would watch it because i just released the june what's up and i, I remember you saying I have that it queued up but there are so many other about dramas. which drama Voice. Oh, a voice for her. Right. was like, I'm going to watch this. This sounds good. <laughs> well, I um, I managed to watch the, because it's, ju- it's literally just at its um, second episode. Um, and I managed to watch the first one. But because we were prepping for this, I couldn't actually manage to squeeze in the second. So mm-hmm. I hope our listeners can appreciate how much I love the podcast. Aww. I don't even watch drama. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm not sure is, I I think that's kind of counterproductive because then I have less to talk about. But what can you do? Choices. Life is hard. Should we jump in? Yes. Take it away. So um, Monthly Magazine Home just aired, just started airing this past week as we record. So I've seen two episodes. You can see my like recap episode one on Drama Beans. But like I, I liked episode one not very much. Let's <laughs> just put it that way. I didn't. How about your boy Kim Ji Suk? I mean, I watched it for him. I started it for him, but like, he's such a terrible person in episode one. Like, episode two, like, you get to know more about him and he's like slightly better. But so, okay, here's like the basic setup, right? Like, we kind of knew he was going to be her boss and her landlord, but like, within the first few minutes of episode one, he's okay, you see him. He's like a house flipper who like predatorily buys properties that aren't being sold and like flips them for like three times their original price which is already kind of upsetting to me because like I'm living in an area that is rapidly gentrifying and I'm like actively working against allowing developers to just come in and like make everything really expensive and kick everybody out of their homes in the neighborhoods they've been living in for like generations too real so you know yeah morally I'm like have yeah. some issues with this character and and also like I, the some of the stuff like the fact that he's presented as this person who's like a self-made man who started from nothing it kind of reiterates that whole like pull yourself up by the bootstraps narrative mm. which is mm, not a thing anyway 
And then he, like, evicts her from her home by tricking her. Oh, I hate that trope. Uh, Yeah, and then she doesn't have a job because she also lost her job. Like, the whole reason, like, she was traveling. She didn't know that, like, the house that she she was renting was getting foreclosed on because, like, she lost her phone while she was traveling. She comes home and she's, like, immediately being evicted from her house. And they're like, it's legal. She's like, but I didn't know. Can you give me an extension so I can find a place to live? I also just lost my job because the magazine I work for just shut down. And they're like, nope, kicking you out. Um, So she's, like, literally homeless. And then she ends up in this, like, tiny little room, um, which, like, you know, she's very resourceful. So she fixes up nicely and whatever. And this is Jung Min, right? That's Jung Min, yeah. So Hero is played by Kim Ji-suk. Heroine's played by Jung Min. And she is actually the best thing about the show. She's had a really tough life. So in the beginning, when you first see her and, like, the kinds of things that she's put up with just to have a job and to, like, advance in your career... You're like, wow, is that really necessary? Like, that's really extreme. Like, do you really have to endure that kind of stuff? But then, like, when you find out how what a hard childhood she's had, then you're like, oh, okay, I kind I get it. But that makes it doubly really awful that, like, now she's homeless, and then she finds, like, a really crappy place to live, and then she's, like, looking for a job, and she can't find a job for months. And then finally, one of her sunbays is like, come work for this magazine. And it turns out, like, she's going to be writing, like, advertising disguised as articles for, like, Kim Ji-suk's home-selling project. And he's her boss and she's like working directly with him. Um, And he like constantly talks down to her and like belittles her at work. It's just not good. Mm. And then like in episode two, he's nicer to her. And also they have like really good chemistry. So I'm going to I'm going to keep watching it. Like I'm conflicted. Mm. But also the melancholy moments about like what does a home mean and what does having a home mean and what it means to different people like where to him it's just an investment. And that's kind of like insurance against being poor and like the kind of childhood that he had that versus like her sort of philosophy about like home being the place that kind of is your refuge. So like even if you have a really crappy day outside, when you come home, that's like your own little space and you can like release your stress and, you know, find comfort and all of that. So for her, like living in the house is really important. And to him, it's just about like buying the house and the value you can get monetarily out of it. So I like that part. But the humor its an interesting distinction. Yeah, it is an interesting distinction. I'm not sure like where they're going with that. But like, it's an interesting dichotomy that they've set up. The humor does not work for me, though. Well, where they're going with that is that they will sort of each come to see each other's perspectives, right? And then they'll live happily ever after. And it won't be full house. Yeah, I guess I'm just wondering if like whatever eventual messaging they create from that will be something that I'm personally going to be okay with or not mm. but that it remains to be seen <laughs> and like I said the humor really doesn't work for me I, I find it's like making fun of people's misfortunes in a really ugly way and then playing it for laughs like the whole sequence of events where she's getting kicked out of her house forcibly is scored with like peppy funny like comedic music and I'm just like this is not yeah, funny like this is funny. a tragedy I, yeah it's also very kind of it's a thing that's happening right now a lot especially like, yeah exactly exactly everywhere in the world so that I didn't like but I have to say like there's been a lot of shows recently dealing with like gentrification like I mean they call it redevelopment in uh, Korea but it's basically gentrification and like rising house prices and I feel like a lot of the shows that would have dealt before with things like extreme wealth inequality are now talking about just how difficult it is to buy a house in Seoul because like even if you have money 
now it's becoming really hard to find a place to live. And that's like an issue that people are like really, really struggling with. So it's been interesting to see that shift. Like in Sully's Haunted House, there was another drama that talked about it recently too, and I can't remember what it was, but I've seen it like increasingly being brought up in shows. So in terms of character development, um, Kim Ji Sook did top star Yubek uh, a while back, and he was a complete jerk there, but I loved his redemption arc. But I'm not sure that. An evil <laughs> redevil upper should have a redemption arc. It almost feels like, you know, like like the devil got his happy ending and like not That's the. <laughs> like in real life, he would be the villain. Whereas like in Top Star Ubek, he was entertaining to watch, even when he was being an a hole. Like like he didn't mean to do bad. Yeah, it wasn't like directed at anyone. He was just he just was like really immature and he needed to like grow up and he did. Whereas here, like this is like a fully grown man with. A property empire. He understands the implications of what he's doing. And in order to redeem that, you kind of have to not have that, right? Or at yeah, least turn and it like to a, some kind of ethical use. Yeah. Right. And like mild spoilers, but like at the end of episode one, they engineer things so that like she goes home to her apartment and he like dropped her off at home because she was drunk. It's a whole thing. It, it was terrible. Like he humiliated in front of all her coworkers, whatever. And then like, Somebody's like waiting for her inside her apartment and like attacks her. But he happens to be there and so he like saves her life. Oh, he's al- already redeemed. <laughs> and then he's got like a spare apartment lying around. He's like, you would just rent this apartment without a deposit. And so like suddenly he's like comes in with it. It's just, now that's, I don't that's like That's a bit how creepy sugar daddy kind of. It's full of these kind of old school tropes where like he's the one with all the power. Yeah. She's the one with no power. She's like really downtrodden. He has everything. He's not only her boss, he's also her landlord. And she's dependent or forced to become dependent on him. Yeah. And then now in episode two, like she started watching his like uh, real estate vlogs. And so now she like hears his voice in her head everywhere she goes, like advising her about like her financial decisions and telling her to save money. And that part is actually really funny. And I like it. But on a whole, like everything put together, it feels kind of gross, you know? Yeah. And he's not even like renting her the apartment out of like, it's more out of self-interest. But she's like, oh, he's actually a nice guy. Anyway, so... (laughs) I don't know, but Jung So Min is great. Yeah. I love her in this. So, you know, your mileage may vary. Okay, I'm done. Uh, I, I just want to briefly mention here because we can talk about it later. Uh, Jung So Min uh, is doing currently a brief uh, guest appearance in uh, My Roommate is a Kumiho. And I haven't seen her in such a long while. And it's just like a pleasure to see her on my screen even briefly. It really is nice to see her. Yeah, I was thinking of watching Monthly Magazine just for her. But now I'm kind of a bit wary <laughs> about watching <laughs> it. Yeah, I mean... It strikes me as possibly being the kind of drama where the chemistry between the leads and their performances will like elevate what would otherwise be not a good show. But like there are no guarantees, right? So I'm probably going to keep watching. So um, I'll yeah. let you know, I guess. So update us next, next year. Yeah. <laughs> so the next on our uh, list is a drama also with um, interesting and not wholly uh, nice characters or one character. So I'm watching Nevertheless. And I have to admit that I got into this for uh, Song Kang because uh, Han So Hee, who plays Yuna B, uh, the female character with the first person perspective in the show. She's new to me, this actress, Han So Hee. Um, I haven't seen her in anything. I think she was in the world of the married, but I have no memory. I, I have no idea what character she was playing. So it's the point is, I got into this for Song Kang and this his character just just strikes me as just so unnerving and, and 
creates like red flag alerts in my head he is too smooth too charming and and he has this weird watchfulness about his face like when he's watching her as if he's like gauging his reaction to see what he can say next to impress her or make her heart flutter it's just so so creepy kind of but creepy by a super hot guy who's acting in a way that has been romanticized and promoted as the ideal romantic behavior for so long that it's confusing to watch you don't know if you're watching a guy flirt a bit too aggressively or if he's an actual creep and the thing is i don't know anything about the source material so i have no idea if this is intentional i think it's intentional because the show starts with showing us yunabi's first relationship the relationship that makes her super wary and that relationship was with a narcissist and the opening scene is a bit don't go in expecting a happy romcom because this one is it's already for uh, a 19 plus audience and there is good reason for that it's not like there is super explicit sex scenes in it at least not in the first two episodes <laughs> but there are enough suggestive um erotic imagery that is used to explain really manipulative behavior certain control issues in a really toxic relationship and it's it's jarring if you don't already know this going into this drama so i was like a bit surprised and then i had to genre shift in my head and realize this is not going to be a cute college romance and if it is a cute college romance that's on the surface there's other stuff going on underneath and it's not so much that i'm enjoying the drama i am really interested in seeing where this goes i am really really hoping that song kang isn't just this misunderstood guy who who hanso his character is just like being overly sensitive about because she's just gotten out of a bad relationship i hope they do something with uh, song kang's character whose name by the way is uh, park jion in nevertheless okay yeah so th- those are my first impressions that's how i'm feeling about it right now uh we'll see in the next long yak if i uh continued watching it and how i feel about it i have a couple of questions go <laughs> so my question is like do you think that that the character that songgang is showing is that like his acting or is that actually his character uh as as in like the actor's character or like the drama character yeah, the drama character like it is he meant to come off that way or is that like you know i mean we've talked about his limited acting ability before but well, i think it was limited before but i think the guy is advancing really quickly in the last couple of dramas he's done i think he was pretty good in um nevelara he was <laughs> nevelara right um which mm. i still haven't finished but he's pretty good in there <laughs> but i don't think his acting muscles are being taxed much in there mm. but here he does have this sort of shoutiness to him which i wonder is that his interpretation of the character or is that how the character is meant to so be so it's not just how he speaks or just you know smiles and stuff it's uh, it's more about this particular character i mean he he touches the girl way too often and it's done deliberately because the camera focuses on uh. every touch and it's all oh, okay. casual and flirtatious touches and the girl kind mm. of she she feels his attention so so she's flattered but she's also self-conscious and a bit unnerved and all of that is captured really well by the narrative by this 
I was feeling triggered by it because the guy was too close, too fast, and I'm I'm just mm. I'm really uncomfortable when if, if any guy tries to do that, even if he's yeah, my it friend. Yeah, it's upsetting to watch. Yeah. yeah, and but the thing is, from the girl's perspective, she's very confused, and also he's friendly to everyone in an equally flirtatious way. So she's also very. Like she doesn't know how to gauge his interest. Is it actual interest or is he just like this with everyone? It's like mm. she is in this really weird place where she's gotten out of a bad relationship and now she's instantly, constantly thinking about this guy because he's confusing the heck out of her. And I'm thinking, dude, this is this manipulation is deliberate. Mm. He's deliberately doing this. Anyway, the point is, it really makes you think. I wonder if this is like you know Backstreet Rookie the way because that was one of those sort of semi-erotic slightly skeevy not slightly I think it was very skeevy my friend who uh, reads webtoons told me about it being a really not nice kind of webtoon I wonder if it's that kind I didn't realize it was rated 19 plus I don't think it's skeevy I it didn't give me off that it's not the the erotic imagery isn't like naked bodies for like gratuitously you know blah. which Backstreet Rookie did have yeah <laughs> it, it's more that these are art students so, so they are sculpting uh-huh. uh, naked bodies and stuff like that that's fine that's in the background and not at all emphasized but there is a use of there is a really good exploration of boundaries in a relationship between artists that happens within the first 10-15 minutes and I thought that was amazingly impactful. So, but I can't talk about it because then the impact kind of like fades. <laughs> so maybe because it's been that thoughtful about that topic. I mean, I haven't seen it, obviously, but from what you're saying, then probably the rest of it is at least somewhat intentional and they're planning to comment on it. If I had a lot of trust in the self-awareness of writers and creators, I would have said 100% they are going to explore a really possibly a, a disturbing and toxic relationship in this drama or at least how uneven certain dynamics can be and also as a friend of ours uh, Chika Changa pointed out the privilege of prettiness um, which they are already addressing yeah that's Yuna that we've had on as a guest before yeah the other thing that comes to mind is also like the actual title of the drama because we talked about this in the last uh, What's Up when we were speculating about the drama and its original title being Algoitiman. Uh, it's like, I know, but I mean, although I know this, maybe it is intentionally exploring those lines. Hopefully, mm. then it, this is going to end up being a really interesting drama. Yeah, but like you said, Borama, this isn't your first K-drama rodeo, so you know there's no, there's no guarantees that something that starts off looking really thoughtful and uh, nuanced is going to actually stay that way till the end. That is my fear, but uh, fingers crossed, I am really interested in where this drama is going right now, so let's see. So, as promised, I did uh, check out Voice 4, which has just um, aired two episodes. I have only managed to watch one, um, but... Yes, Sung Seung-hun is perfectly like unnatural at this gruff detective role. However, having um, had Anissa tell us about the LAPD, it did color my. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, 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 <laughs> it, no, no, no! It actually made it more enjoyable because you're sitting there enjoying the irony of it. 
So there's this one scene, I'll tell you like about the premise of the show in a, in a moment, but there's just one scene uh, right at the beginning, which I just found so ridiculous. Um, so he's there with his like LAPD pals and they're all like these um, American guys. They're like, they're not all white, actually. Like you've got a couple of black guys, you've got a white guy uh, and you've got some clearly European guys. Um, and <laughs> and Sorry, all, yeah, they, they always show up. <laughs> they're staking out a nightclub with... Um, because they're chasing like a, a drug boss who is like the second in command of a big cartel um, and they're in the nightclub in like bulletproof vests with LAPD emblazoned on the front yeah you're really undercover <laughs> so wow <laughs> I was like just so you know he's from LAPD um, uh, so there was that anyway so you know we said last time that uh, Ihana has like PTSD and I was like oh no she had that from the start actually it turns out there's there's a whole new world of PTSD waiting for her because mild spoilers I mean if you're going to watch the show you're going to find this out anyway Borma and Anissa I don't know if you're going to watch it so you're probably not going to be are you going to be bothered if I tell you about what happened? I don't mind okay. even if I watch it I don't mind yeah. so for our listeners just skip ahead like 30-40 seconds they give a recap of basically what happened in the past season and the reason that Ijinuk is no longer in the drama is because he got killed. So, <gasps> yeah, this big bad thing happened. And so I think that her trauma is in that because, like, she was kidnapped and he sort of sacrificed himself to save her. But it turned out that he was actually, like, the villain of the show turned out to be his brother. And so that was a whole... Uh, and like in the begin at the very beginning of the show they give you like a couple of minutes to recap what brought her to this point where she is now and like she is having these these dreams and she is being sent threatening email she's having nightmares um which are a result of these threatening emails that she's being sent by somebody who claims to be her like long lost twin in a figurative way i think not in a literal way and it turns out that she has this kind of doppelganger who, a murderous doppelganger who is going around committing these very grisly, horrible, disturbing murders. Like a family of murderers, I don't know. Uh, and they go under the name of Circus Man. So you've got this sort of string of opening crimes. It's so, I mean... I just, I always wonder like why why am I watching this like OCN why why do you do this? Well, this is this TVN. Oh, it is. I forgot about that. You it's... said it was going to be less brutal oh. because it wouldn't be OCN. I completely because I, I was it watching it and I was like, oh OCN. You're right. <laughs> it's not any less. It's just as bad, if not like maybe it's not worse because I just tend not to watch them uh, as much as like some other types but yeah it's really it's so difficult to watch I'm like constantly covering up my screen and like covering up my ears and trying not to hear things and see things because it's it's very disturbing I don't know how people watch them so it's I mean jury's out about whether I will carry on but I will definitely watch one more episode but it is hard to watch you've just watched one episode I've so watched far? one so far there were some really interesting fan theories going around before the show started that um, because from the promos, they were like, you know, clearly the the perp is a female. So they were like, we wonder if that's like Ihana, um, like 
you know, she's dissociated and she has this sort of sleepwalking life where she, want, you know, during the day she's the call center chief and in the night she's uh, a, a raging murderer. And they were great theories, but the reality of the story turns out to be a little weirder almost. So I think the the doppelganger the doppelganger character does seem to be played by her but it she's not a twin and she's not her she's just someone who has the same ability the the you know this very the super sensitive hearing that she has so i don't i don't know how interesting it is but like you know gruff detectives and sung sung on i i will definitely and these are like non-romance partnerships oh, yeah, right? absolutely that she has funny, with her partners yeah, yeah they're mm-hmm. not romantic at all they're just f- very crime focused and do mm-hmm. all her partners end up dead <laughs> well no Tanyuk didn't end up dead okay. he just he had resolved his issues and he left the job and then she did two seasons with Ejimov right yeah that's right ah oh, dang mm-hmm. Yeah. Poor girl. I forgot she had this whispery delivery in this character, you know, that sort of, oh, this is happening. And she's always like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and it's a little frustrating at times because I really like Ihana in her other characters. And she's good in this, but there's something about her that just is a little, I don't know, fragile is not the word, breakable is not the word, but there's just something. She, she's always on the edge of tears, I feel like, in, in this character. Mm. Whereas I know that she's got like she's got more steel, like the ability to play a steelier character. But that's probably just how how I also really like her when she's funny. I really like her when she's doing comedy, like in High School King, which is a term just as iconic at this point. My favorite role of hers. (laughs) Yes, and also really love her. She has a secondary role in um, Alone in Love. She plays like one half of like sort of the secondary couple to the main couple. She's the sister of one of them, the male or the female lead. But she's so funny and weird in that. I loved her in that. Yeah, I think she's best as weird. That's not to say she's not a a great actress in this particular role. She is. It's just a slightly different type of character. Sir, just just before we move on, just one thing. Give at least one reason why anyone should watch Voice. (laughs) Because... um, (laughs) It's got a good mystery and because they've set up the um, antagonist really clearly, the mystery is not who they are. It's how they're doing it and how um, she will sort of come out against this person who looks just like her and people are going to mistake her for her. So she's got to prove that it's not her as well as catching her. There, There is satisfaction in watching the narrative unfold, right? At least Voice has that. So far. Okay, cool. (laughs) <laughs> because see, I, I, I am going in for a, a lead who has PTSD, has lost her previous partners and is at the edge of tears all the time. I need I need something. <laughs> no, she is an incredibly tough character. Okay. Like cool. you don't go through all of that and then, you know, she's not going to fall apart. Okay. That's what I needed to hear. Okay. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> oh, at a distance. Spring screen. Yes. So we talked about this on our last What's Up in Dravaland episode. Um, I've seen two episodes, which is all that's aired right now. Varma, how much have you seen? About an episode and a half. So I just want to like follow up on the group project thing <laughs> because I feel like I went on about that like at quite a long stretch last time. So there's not only one, but two pivotal group projects in episodes one and two. <laughs> in episode one, so they've changed it a little bit. Like, I remember I mentioned in the webtoon, the heroine is actually in a different program. She's in the Japanese program. But um, in this, all three of them are in business. 
together. So they're actually in the same program. And she and Nam Soo-hyun, which is like the older, very prickly and extremely smart, like super poor guy who's like always working part-time jobs and he has like no time for friendship. I think they're both third years, although he's a bit older just because of like army and stuff. So Nam Soo-hyun is played by Baenyeok. And then there's uh, Kang Mina plays Kim So-bin, who is, she's in the program, but she's like kind of shy and she's not doing that well in school. But so they, the two of them had done a group project together like the previous year where like he kind of ignored all the research that she did. And she's all like, why didn't you, you know, acknowledge my work? And he's like, oh, you didn't never sent it to me. And then he like apologizes. And it's a whole thing. And then in episode two, they actually have the actual group project where like that I talked about from the webtoon. <laughs> um, but it's, they don't spend as long on like, but who's going to work on it? <laughs> but Yojun, you can't do anything because you're first year. You're too dumb. And like that didn't go on forever. And Yo- Yojun is played by Park Chun is like the young rich kid who like smiles all the time and he has like millions of friends but like nobody actually knows him and like his painful backstory of like abuse and neglect from his family so i do enjoy that like the poor little rich boy narrative here is different than the typical one i I mean i don't know if this is like common trope in webtoons but it's not really that common in dramas where like instead of being like cold and aloof and like extremely handsome and everyone just like follows him around and faints he uses his extreme friendliness and like accommodatingness as a shield instead. One of the things that I really like is how the Nam Suhan character sees through that when like most other people don't. And so he like doesn't respond to it. And he's like even more intrigued by that. So he like, follows him around even more and he like wants to like convince him to be his friend. And he's just like, leave me alone, you're fake. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that relationship is the most interesting. But I also like how there's the three of them and they're all like, all their attention is kind of directed at one person and it's like kind of a triangle, but it's not romantic at this point. I'm sure it'll turn romantic at some point. But right now, I just really like that friendship dynamic. I'm really not looking forward to the romance because I think what I'm enjoying of this... And the thing is, it's not like I'm hugely enjoying this drama. I like the Nam Soo-hyun character played by Bain Hyuk, but I'm a, like I'm I'm not enjoying Kang Mina's character or Park Ji-hoon's character. I, I get it, I, especially... Mm-hmm. Park Ji-hoon's character makes, as you said, he's he's very interesting because at least for K-dramas, he's very different. He's basically nicknamed the university ATM because anybody who wants to like go partying can like just take him along mm. and he'll pay for everything. Even though he's a first year, all his sunbees are constantly exploiting him. And he he knows he's being exploited. And there are moments when his eyes grow completely cold when one of the, you know, his college seniors are asking something of him and he's like just done. But he then quickly switches back to the cheerful, um, you know, Mangne character and is like, yes, yes, sure, let's go for a third round. I'll pay for everything and all of that stuff. And I really enjoy that this this character, this this facade that he has does not work on uh, Nam Soo Hyun, who's this hardworking mm-hmm college student who also has to take care of his younger brother and he does like a million part-time jobs so he's he has no time for the rich boy and the rich boy is like but won't you be my friend <laughs> which yeah and also what i like about namsian is that like he's not mean yeah no he's he not. just doesn't waste time on like useless pleasantries of or like sort of the social contract type of stuff that's like expected politeness yeah. He's like, I don't have time, you know, like I have like 8 million things to do. So I like that about him. He's not like mean and cold for no reason. He's not. And this is why he's my favorite character right now. 
he's actually really kind-hearted and straightforward guy. And even though he's yeah. cold to uh, Yojun, it's because, as you said, he's fake. Whereas Yojun, who's yeah. constantly cheerful and helpful and like, willing to spend money all the time and polite and all of that stuff, he's actually an asshole. <laughs> like when Kim Sobin, which is Kang Mina, goes and asks him for a favor, he literally rings that for everything he can get. He forces her to go up to the... He basically forces her to bungee jump with him. And she is terrified of heights. You don't just... And, he, and the thing he tells her is that once you do it, everything will change. Don't you trust me? And I wanted to smack his face. She's got a phobia, you dickhead. <laughs> but I agree with you. Uh, yes, he's terrible. Like, he's interesting, but he's not a good person. But also, like, you understand that he's, like, really messed up in the I, head I, because I, he's, like, I do. hungry for attention. But I, I, really, I really dislike that he takes out this side of his character on the weakest people, like the ones who can't fight back. So it's... It's it, I, one of the dialogues that I really liked in this drama is when Nam Soo Hyun is like, I'm one of the seniors. It's not, I mean, it, it won't hurt you not to befriend me and it's not going to benefit you to be, befriend yeah. me. And I like that because he pegged Yojun absolutely right. He is hanging around with the Sundays that would like help his social life to hang around. And it's just, yeah, I'm not sure yeah. about this drama right now. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't know where the romantic storylines are going. I mean, I would really if I would really like it if like Kim Sobin and Nam Sehan are like endgame yeah. and Yojun just like learns how to be a human. That would be nice. Um, instead of like a smiling mask that like just bows his head to whoever's in power and tries to like smooth everything out. I think that's probably going to be the arc, although I haven't read the whole webtoon, so I don't know. But if that's where it goes, then I would like it because like you said, it is really interesting how he's like become conditioned to sort of become meek before power. And, like, kind of not really respect people who are weaker than him because he hasn't been shown that kind of respect in his own moments of vulnerability. Like, I don't know if you've watched the part of episode two where he, like, goes home. I haven't. I haven't watched family. that. I haven't watched that yet. Like, truly a horrifying family. <laughs> and, like, it made me a little more interested in his character because, like, it's, like, very harsh. But it, there's also, like, an interesting dynamic between him and his older brother and, like, his parents. And you kind of anyway. So that's all my thoughts on it so far. I think we need to watch a bit more of this drama to make up our minds. But so far, I like the dynamic between the two boys. I'm not so sure about Kim Sobin. I'm not sure, so sure that she's an interesting character or that her story is worth being invested in. So, but let's see. Yeah, I kind of liked it better when she wasn't in the same program as them, <laughs> right? I'll be honest. But I feel like they've done, they've just squished everything together too much. We'll see. Yeah, I'm going to still wa keep watching it because I love campus, university campus, slice of life dramas, and we don't get enough of them. So, But we are kind of getting a few campus dramas right now. There was Nevertheless Before, and there is also So Not Worth It, which is a sitcom, a genre I'm not used to in K-dramas at all. <laughs> you tell your thoughts on it first, since I went first with um, At a Distance, Spring is Green. Okay, so... For our listeners who haven't come across this as yet, this is a little different in that they're really using an old-fashioned sitcom format. Everything with the laughter track, which is ever-present. Mm -hmm. Every minor <laughs> line has a laughter track inserted under it, which is just so annoying. Yeah. Um, and the characters are over-the-top silly. Um, especially the foreign students. 
they are i mean i on the one hand i kind of like that when they are being introduced they all have like carson for instance is this supposed to be this see she's a senior student and has been around in in the dorm this international dorm where this entire sitcom is set up for a really long time and she's supposed to be like this you know old soul in that she keeps talking about in my days <laughs> which is just a few years back <laughs> and like they actually have characters and they have like not made these really flat people however <laughs> the cast is always a however <laughs> the, i mean it's again i don't know if i'm just being nitpicky but like they're too simplistic like the most complex character here is of course the native korean and the other native korean who's pretend i mean in this drama playing uh, uh american korean but uh, he's very clearly korean korean <laughs> like they have a friendship <laughs> so the dorm i don't know what you call it the dorm manager the dorm monitor she's a obsedia who basically takes care of the admin work um in a dorm and that's seon and she is um basically just she mothers everybody but she also gets money out of them for every small thing that they want done she's extorting, she's extorting all, of all of them yeah absolutely <laughs> but you know i kind of get her point of view these are, most of these are rich kids they can afford it <laughs> i know i know i, mean, I know that's true I know, but I know, I know, yeah, anyway go finish and then i have things to say i am not unsympathetic to say one's perspective but I mean yeah she is exploiting them I can't disagree with that but don't you find that her character and the character of the Korean uh boy the Jamie right um who's supposed to be this American kid who's come to study here their pro- their relationship quickly got the most traditional Korean drama type escalation with some a little bit of nuance a little bit of comedy and all of that so whereas everybody else got love to track relationship bonding <laughs> which is just yeah i mean that's True. I just want to point out that Sewon is not the only Korean character. There's also Han Hyunmin. Oh who yeah, plays Hyunmin, who's also a Korean character. Yes, but I I I did deliberately mean um how do you say this? Ethnically, Ethnically Korean. Korean. Because Hyunmin uh, okay. is one of those characters who again, he is absolutely uh, a native Korean, but Hyunmin is one of those characters who is being given that whole slightly shallow haha i made a joke type persona and- oh absolutely and i have like okay so i have i have something to say about hyunmin's character but before we get to that like are you finished with your like general thoughts I'm, on I'm, drama I'm done. yeah 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 i i really hate this <laughs> i'm sorry i really i really hate it like i was thinking like it's just because i'm not really a sitcom person but then i was thinking about like high kick 3 the revenge of the short legged which was like 120 episodes i actually watched the whole thing and it was really good like it it did have that like silly sitcommy type of storylines and like sometimes they were a little sillier than what i would normally enjoy but it had like a lot of heart like really good character development excellent relationships slow burn development for like everything uh, you know including like romance and family stuff like it was really really good so when it's done well i can enjoy it but here like you said the laugh track is really obnoxious the humor just doesn't land for me and i feel like it's partly that the writing is very simplistic and like very obvious but it's also that like i don't think that these are bad actors but they're being directed to overact in such an egregious way well some of them are bad actors <laughs> but some of them are not bad actors because we've seen them in other things mm. and they're but they're just like being they're just overacting so much i think it's even more jarring because like there's something about overacting when it's not your native language and i don't i can't quite put my finger on it but like it feels really unnatural yeah even more unnatural than it would if you were like really really being over the top in your own native language and it makes me uncomfortable 
And then like the whole, I don't like the racial politics of this drama. Like I know it's being played for for kicks or whatever, but like, and, and sometimes it does point out racism. Like the fact when like Terrace is like, hey, you can just take my place in the dorm. No one will even notice because they're always mistaking us for each other. And Hyunmin's like, yeah, yeah, nobody will notice. And like, that is like pointing out some racism that people actually face, right? Mm-hmm. And there are things that they talk about that are like very realistic to, you know, things that expats face in Korea. And I do, and like you said, it, it is nice that they show them having come at like different times and being like different levels of acclimated, which is cool. But like the fact that Hyunmin is... I just don't like that it's the black character. And I know there's more than one black character, but like Terrace has a very small role. Yeah. He doesn't have a lot of lines. Hyunmin has a much bigger role. He's a bigger star. Um, and he's like a native Korean. So like, you know, he's fluent. He And he's um, he has a higher profile. And like his story is like, A, he has to like come into the dorm under false pretenses. There's a whole storyline about how they suspect him of stealing. Um, and then like Sewan decides to like, blackmail him into signing a slave contract like it's just so gross like i don't like it and like even though he's like i'm not an idol why are you making me sign like a seven-year slave contract i'm like no no don't do this yeah like it's so not good it's so not good and i and they're like maybe they weren't thinking about it like that yeah but why is it that character that has that storyline there were other things too i can't remember them but i was i was like i should at least watch episode two just so i can give like a more nuanced and informed, but I was like, I can't watch this anymore. I'm going to, like, puke. So I had to stop Yeah, halfway through episode two. Yeah. That's a shame. But do you think that by making bad shows that they will eventually arrive at making good shows? I don't know. I mean, it's sad because, like, this had potential. And if it had been better written, like, they could have done something good with it. And it's not cheaply made. Obviously, they've put a lot of money and effort into yeah, it. Yeah, you, you, can, you can see that it's gotten a decent budget. There are certain moments that surprised me i'm not sure to think about this like that um so there is this white character sam i think who's terrace's original roommate before terrace who by the way i really like that uh human calls terrace is because, <laughs> because Ter- uh, not is. Sam. that Han- sam is the australian it's hans oh hans right no i was talking about terrace i like that uh human calls terrace is which is like ter is I just thought that was hilarious. Anyway. It wasn't risk, yeah, risk, yeah. So I, uh. I, uh, I, I, I like <laughs> that. Half yeah. yeah, I like that. Hyunmin was shown as a proper native of Korea in that they showed how much he has to travel to get to college every day. Like the entire like transit that process that was really yeah. great. There was also this moment where um, Terrace and Hyunmin, who are both black characters, they are discussing, you know, switching uh, their places because one of them needs to move out but keep his spot in the room. And Hyunmin was like, let me stay here so I can avoid the transport. And Hans, sorry, not Sam Hans, <laughs> uh, who's the roommate, is all by the books. But he's like, he's by the books to a hypocritic level. And it's like super annoying. But also worse is that he was quoting some situation in Africa. Like, do you think it's fair to... <laughs> I don't know, people in Africa. And then they were like, why is that coming up right now? And, and the thing is... And they just like, shut it down. I love that. I love that human turned yeah. to him and was like, that's irrelevant. Why are you talking about that? But also, I like that... How do I put it? It's... um. Here are two black characters telling this white character to shut up about Africa already. <laughs> why, why do you... Why? Anyway, so there is that. I mean, there was that moment. But... I, I guess the thing that I kind of liked about the trauma is that it shows people of multiple ethnicity living in Korea 
fluent in the culture more or less fluent in the more or less fluent in the language and um associating with each other conversing with each other in the native language and living as natives do in the dorm and there is this i mean yes it's like a very sitcomy dorm life but still i mean i like that this is visually there and of course there is no nuance whatsoever like completely agree yeah i mean like part of me has like a visceral reaction to the things that i don't like and it's true that there are things that are good and i did like those things but i just, i'm having that feeling of like it took so long yeah for them to make something like this and it's so below the quality of even like a mediocre korean drama in terms of like its dialogue and its acting that it's like disappointing also like that token hijabi like you just see her from the back for like 2 seconds <laughs> and she's literally just like <laughs> ogling Jamie and and she's like excited about how hot he is so i was like well that's disappointing that's great <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's not representation maybe maybe the point of the show is like maybe it's a visual point to expose a domestic audience to the sight of non ethnicians yeah. i think the thing that i felt was like this is not for me yeah exactly you know like this is not for us this yeah. is for koreans yeah. yes. and maybe for koreans it's like actually a great show mm-hmm. because maybe this kind of humor really works well domestically i think it kind of works better domestically than it does internationally even being able to see people of color just being normal people. I mean sometimes that's Yeah, I mean there is a little bit of I feel that unevenness that you were talking about Roma where like some things are like really not good and then there are other moments like that moment where like Hans is talking to Terrace and Hyunmin and they're like no, don't talk about Africa. But I feel like maybe that's like the cast making yeah. ad-libs mm. to make it better <laughs> because the actual writing of the script is yeah. so bad. And then there's also moments where like the laugh track makes it seem like part of the joke is that these foreigners are speaking Korean haha ah uh, yeah and that, that makes me feel a bit uncomfortable true. so it's very it's very mixed i don't know like but yeah i don't think it's for us so you know i'm not going to watch it cuz it's not for me yeah and and truth be told the thing that i somewhat liked in the first episode already started fading in the second one which is the novelty of it and the novelty can't override like narrative goodness man if i'm bored i'm yeah. not going to be watching it for too long I just hope that this actually like helps boost the careers of some of these actors. Yeah, definitely. And it doesn't end up like backfiring against them in case like bad ratings that they get blamed and then they don't get roles because that would be sad. Because I do like the cast. If nothing else, this introduces these faces to um, national and international audiences. So, mm. I mean, they can't all get blamed for bad ratings, <laughs> right? So, hopefully good ratings and hopefully lots of good exposure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and hopefully better dramas, better scripts <laughs> off the back of it. Yeah, yes. So hopefully. from one set of roommates to <laughs> another, the next one we're talking about is one that you guys have talked about already, um, and I had to quickly watch and catch up so that I could edit, edit the last episode, um, and then I felt like you kind of knew me too well because you told me I would love it, but also because mm-hmm. now it's. nearly like it's nearly finished right it's like two weeks off being uh it's two weeks off completing yeah and there's also a lot of disgruntlement going around but i'm like i'm at episode eight and i'm still i'm still deep in the drama uh, how far are you anisa i never got past episode four because oh, okay. i was like i'm gonna yeah i like <laughs> was like i'm gonna write a review and then i like tried and i 
it just, I don't know, sometimes you just get stuck. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden I heard all these people talking about how much they hated it. And then I just like oh, lost all my motivation. Doom. <laughs> Nobody can hate Doom. I mean, it gets frustrating in some ways, but you can't hate uh, this drama. I'm at episode 10 and I'm still loving large parts of it. I have complaints, but this time it's your ride. So I have to go. <laughs> Well, I mean, I said I wouldn't have a lot to say about it, but then, like, I've been putting together my thoughts while you guys were talking because I'm rude like that. Um, and I actually appear to have quite a lot to say about it. But yeah, I was low key pretending that I wasn't watching it. <laughs> because she was like, I am watching it, but don't ask me about it. I'm not going to talk. We're like, okay. <laughs> Um, so I mean okay my first thoughts on this is does it not feel like two different shows to you guys like there's the whole main storyline yes and then there's this completely different drama that's strangely appended to it and like don't get me wrong yet weird isiyuk uh slash like kangteo rom-com it's not bad and actually it's pretty all right and isiyuk is like downright weirdo and it suits him utterly best because dino-faced alien gang mm-hmm. um but it is really odd like there's kind of a, a genre tonal whiplash which is pretty strong like you you do feel like you're watching two different dramas and are the stories going to converge in a way that makes tonal sense will you see your turn out to be like i don't know a low-key figure will this <laughs> supernatural being like i mean is he a supernatural being with with his private contracts and will they have more to them than meets the eye? Like, I don't know. Is he the devil? Is there room for Lucifer and Hades in the same drama? (laughs) So like, I imagined this whole story for Isiok because I was trying to figure out how he fit into this. And like with that face, he has to be a supernatural character, right? But yeah, I guess he's not, it seems. So basically, Hotel de Luna is, uh, sorry, Hotel de Luna. <laughs> um, I, was I was like, well, to this say, is going in an interesting <laughs> direction. Where are we going here? I, I was going to say, um, do what your service is like Hotel de Luna meeting an enchantment of ravens, which is a book by Margaret Rogerson. Um, I don't know if you guys have read it. Uh, it's like, it's this, um, the, it's a cruel fairy prince archetype. And Myolmang is the cruel fairy prince. And once you get that, then everything about his character is, like, it's perfect. Because I don't know if that dramas do this a lot. I don't, I haven't seen that book, but, like, I do get that energy because he's, like, you know, like, she's entering into his world and he's, like, very fey and he has all these, like, different rules about, like, what she has agreed to and what she can now do Mm -hmm. and, like, she's sort of agreed to something that she didn't really know what she was getting into, which is very, like, cruel fairy prince-like. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of, that's what makes his character so interesting because... He's not merely, like, a cold-hearted hero or, you know, jerk with a heart of gold. He is this, like, mercurial, melancholy, heartless, cruel, in a distant, removed kind of way. Like, his cruelty is not personal. Like, there are times he's so human-like and that you can see, like, Pak Boyong's human heart can't help bending to him. But, like, what's really dazzling is his caprice. Like, when he's nice, he seems like he's so nice. And then he turns on a dime and he's, like, this heartless creature of ancient sorrow. And it's just, the dynamics are so interesting. And I have to say, like, I don't think anyone except Soengook could pull this off, this type of character. 
I it, I think it works so well because he is doing it. Yeah, he, this this was perfect casting. He's got that uh, ability to be that pressure cooker where you're like something is broiling underneath, and but he's keeping it all like lit down and like it's just in his mm-hmm. eyes, and the intensity keeps mm-hmm. growing until he bursts. Uh. <laughs> yeah, this casting director definitely watched. Um, what's the one that he did with Jung So Min? I can't oh, remember the uh, name. Smile in your eyes. The smile has left your eyes. Yeah, yeah. I actually thought he he was very similar in that drama in that that whole you know that ancient sorrow thing kind of uh, worked for that character too. The the reason that I was really drawn to this particular drama in the first place was of course that whole contract thing, the back and forth between So In Gok and Park Bo Young's characters where he is the deity with the knowledge and she is a human trying to figure out how to get the best deal out of uh, a contract that basically dictates who lives and who dies and it's all like in how like she's trying her best to understand the contract and he doesn't want to be unjust I like that he offers her an extra wish because he's like well I'm getting everything out of this and you're getting nothing so here you can wish one more thing so like you said he's not personally malicious but um but he's so inhuman like yeah because there's no humanity in his character, that's what changes the weight of the things that he does. Because there's no human malice in what he does. There's just this sort of distant caprice, right? Like he's doing stuff and it doesn't, like he's so removed from the plane of humans that it's neither here nor there. But, and of course that's the point. And like, you know, obviously you figure the point is that she will love him and of course he'll love her. But what's so interesting is that like with that whole her declaration that I'll love you is that it's a task that she's given herself. Mm -hmm. And it's such an interesting setup because like, I mean, what drama has done that? Just love, like done, done and done so many times. But this is new. And oh, yeah, I don't know. And like how she has to fight her instincts Mm. to, to make herself not run away and that everything he does and will continue to do proves that a she can't love love him but b that also he can't be loved and that's the conflict it's so interesting yeah so (laughs) i have to i have to say this here that is exactly what i loved i loved about doom i feel like bad things are coming they forget that conceit completely oh damn it and that's, oh, I really don't want to hear. I, I'm not going to spoil anything for you. My, my <laughs> okay. problem is that here is a deity. He has the weight of the world. I am completely understand why he wants to end his own existence. Who wants to live to be the cause of misery forever? No end date. And the one other person who can understand you in, in the fullness of who you are just dismisses your pain and says, get over it. <laughs> Which is the Sonya Shin, the, the ch- child god. And... I really like their dysfunctional mother-son um, relationship, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> that was like my favorite thing in the first four episodes. It was just, I, I still don't understand what Sonia Shin's deal is, but yeah, I like either. it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really don't like her. She stresses me out. Yeah, same. I don't like her character at all. I'm fine with her not being in the show. Yeah. There's conflict I can take and there's conflict that just is like, I can't. Can you just let these little miskeen just like fall in love, right? Yeah. So that's conflict enough. 
And then you add to this this even more capricious figure who is, you don't get her game. Like, what does she want? What is she trying to do? She seems like she's just playing with them and torturing everybody. And, you know, in that very toxic, I mean, if she were a human, it would be very toxic, narcissistic kind of, you know. But as a non-human, it's almost worse. Kind of, yeah. The other thing that I have really enjoyed in the show is like how cheekily self-aware it is in the way that it uses these traditional romance tropes and because Soenguk is the perfect vehicle for delivering lines like he does he doesn't have a lifetime of trying to figure people out right he's just he's got an encyclopedic knowledge of human existence and in the supposedly romantic moments, he'll like try a line and you'll be like, ooh, you know, is this going to be a moment? And then she's like, and she seems to go along with it. And then she's like, did you think that would work? And he's like, well, it was worth a try. And then, <laughs> and then they keep on doing that. And I find that really entertaining. Yeah. The other thing that I really have enjoyed is the way that there's just such an emotional tension in, yes, she has set herself this task to make herself love him. And she has challenged him to love her. But in any moment when it seems like it's getting too real, she'll run away. She's like, this is only okay as long as it's not getting, as long as it's not real. Like she's trying to achieve a thing while trying to block it at the same time. Yeah. And I find that such an interesting tension. But the problem is that that only works for so long until you remember yes. what her choices are. If she doesn't yes. wish doom upon the world, her, probably her brother dies. If she does, then everyone dies. So it's like she's playing yeah. a, a love game while the end is so close and she has horrible choices either way. So I'm yeah. like after a, after a short while, after a couple of episodes, I no longer understand what the heck they're doing. Yeah, I feel like there's a point where she realizes she's stuck herself in a trap. And you can see when she's figured it out, if she succeeds, even if she succeeds in what she set out to do, she still causes herself measurable pain. And I feel like when she set out to do that, she didn't quite realize that. But yeah, she, she is in a trap. There's a no win in this for anybody, yeah. whichever way it goes. I am looking forward to the next week's episode, which um, right now I think episode 10 just finished airing last week. And uh, there's episode 11, 12 happening where Shin, Sonia Shin kind of provides choice, I think. That's what the previews said. And that there I will say no more. <laughs> oh, interesting. So hopefully development happens. I will say so one <laughs> last thing before we move on. Yeah. <laughs> which is, one last thing, which is that I know that the, soundtrack is meant to be very moving and you know emotional and all of that but every time it goes it's about to I fall know. off I'm like <laughs> I've thought exactly the uh, same thing yeah I mean that did you ever read those Louise Reddison books um you know nope. um Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging oh, and all of those yes I did I read yeah. the first one so well, I one did not know the author <laughs> One of the books is called. So this is a teen, uh, a teen. It's a, a teen series of books that was written by the author Louise Renison in the early to mid two thousands. Um, and it was uh, it's a most famously known in the UK. But I don't know how well known it is outside of that. They're very funny. I have heard of it. They're I have very heard of it. funny. And um, I read them like at the time and. Um, 
that one of the titles uh, of one of the later books is and that's when it fell off in my hand and it's like that like when you read the book it's not actually obscene but the title sounds really obscene (laughs) um yeah so whenever I hear this line in the song I'm like uh, the other uh, the other song that they have the biome the, the it's dangerous um, yeah 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 this is it's that song it's, like what, what's uh, about to fall? i'm very mature so you know in the last episode we had uncomfortable rabbit holes <laughs> i know uh, oh um on that note just one one second before we move on I am just really, really enjoying Najina's uh, love triangle. And that's it. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, I am enjoying it, but it's not the same show. It's, it's a completely it's different show. No, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and also, can you not pine over a man who left you like that? I, uh, I hate that so much. Anyway, <laughs> just get over these guys and live your life. Yeah, Says the person yeah. who listen, never listen gets over to, anybody. Listen to Annie. She knows what she's talking about. <laughs> So the next thing we're going to talk about is a show that me and Barma have been enjoying a lot, which is Mad for Each Other. Yeah. (laughs) I don't have a lot to say about this. I just really like it. It's very... I remember when we previewed it, we were like, what is the... Like, what is this, like, two people who have, like, severe... Well, now we know it's mental illness, but in the description, we weren't really sure how they were going to handle that. I feel like it was handled quite well, actually. You know, the trauma and, like, you know, the anger management issues... And um, like Oyunso's characters, the source of her paranoia and her and her PTSD and like how that's resolved and just the way that they deal with like getting psychiatric treatment and like not only therapy, but like they also talk about like drugs and sort of like the side effects and how it makes you feel. And like that, I don't think I've ever seen in a K-drama before that sort of frank discussion of like, uh, you know, how psychotropic drugs can affect you. And it does balance the humor of that with like a lot of empathy in a way that like doesn't make fun of the characters. Like it's funny, but it's not mocking them. Yeah. Which is a hard balance to ride. And I think it does really well. And then like the romance is really cute. Like they're so weird. And they fit each other so well. I really, really love Jungwoo's character, Pio. He has that whole thing of like the gruff softy, but he's gruff in a way that like, even though he's like very angry and like he does bad things because of his anger and you're like, dude, that's messed up. But also like he's in treatment for that. So like the show isn't trying to excuse his behavior. The show is like, that's bad. Go fix yourself. And he's like, yes, I'm fixing myself. But he's actually like a really good person. Like there's this one part where she's like, I want to come over to my place for ramen. And he's like, uh, and then he goes over and they like actually have ramen. And then she's like, you want to sleep with me? And he's like, no, you're drunk. I don't sleep with drunk women. And you're like, wow, (laughs) consent. (laughs) And there's like a lot of things like that where he like actually really, really respects her as a person. Yeah. Um, So even though he's like gruff and kind of, he's such a, he's such a dork. I love how (laughs) dorky he is. (laughs) I have one issue with the drama, but I want to hear your thoughts first before I bring up my issue. Sure. He's a dork, but he's just like, completely like he, he's a he's so kind yes he's way more open-minded than oyen so's character i think that show that they show that pretty early with uh the trans character that they have um and mm. again not sure if they are trans uh because they didn't identify self-identify there is actually a brief discussion where the character and uh, jungu's character samantha, samantha 
and uh, Jungwoo's character are speaking, but then again, um, they weren't in the Samantha Samantha character at that point. Like it's a garb that they wear, right? It's a character that they put That's on. That's true. Although all the other characters refer to that character as Samantha, and I don't remember if we have another name for them or not. Right. So the character basically has is one of the tenants of the apartment complex where this entire uh, setup takes place. And uh, they are mistaken as uh, like a, a neighborhood uh, flasher by this group of Ajumas <laughs> who are doing, um, you know, patrolling. Was he wearing area. a trench coat? No, he was just, you know, dressed up um, <laughs> and had like a wig and all of that stuff. And they had all surrounded him. And he was feeling very awkward because he was just returning home. And uh, Jungwoo went in there and and he cleaned up the situation really quickly, very respectfully, had Samantha leave because there was absolutely no proof that they had done anything. It was just... A nice scene done very cleanly. And it wasn't just a matter of Pio not being prejudiced. It's that he actively tries not to be prejudiced, as we see in a subsequent scene where um, he has a conversation with Samantha. So anyway, moving on from that, he's generally a very kind character. And you can see that in how many chances he gives Oyunso's character because she just decimates the poor guy. She keeps misunderstanding him for like she has really severe paranoia. So it's it's not like it's done just for laughs. But yeah. it, it does create like horrific situations for him, but super comedic situations for us. And I just really like how their push and pull works. Like every time he's giving her a chance, she's trying to trust him, but her inner demons kind of like don't let her and he gets into a bad situation. She feels apologetic, but she just refuses to apologize. So instead, she just follows him around, kind of like indirectly apologizing through her actions. And it's just, it's a really, really nice, you know, just set up for the two of them. That's one thing. The other thing that I just quickly wanted to mention before handing it off to you, Nisa, was that my favorite scene till now is that scene where... Uh, Huyo meets Min Kyung, sorry, uh, Jan Woo's character meets um, Yeon So's character's mom because she comes to visit mm. and he and she has like this blowout shouting match with her mom and her mom leaves her apartment in tears. Again, the shouting match was justified from, um, you know, the girl's perspective because really, really bad uh, situation with her mom. Anyways, Huyo takes the mom into his apartment and he just wants to sit down and calm her down because this elderly lady is crying. And he's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm here. She's not in danger. You don't have to worry because you, you can trust me. I'm a cop. And <laughs> that comes the reply. Well, cops beat their mistresses. Cops do, do drunk driving. They, they uh, kill people too. And they do all kinds of terrible things. And he's like, good point. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, the second thing is that the therapy here is probably, I don't know, the, the most healthy therapist uh, representation I have ever seen. Like the entire, like the, how she does therapy and her relationship with her patients and all of those yes. things, what she says to them. I'm impressed. And finally, the third thing is that uh, the therapist has a conversation with Jogu's character, Hyo, about his anger, like bursts of his anger. And one point she asks, has there ever been a situation where you have beaten up suspects? And he kind of looks away shamefacedly and he's like, yeah, that can sometimes happen. Now, she's very clearly talking about his anger management issues and the bursts that like where it bursts out. It doesn't burst out at random women who are being awful to him and all of that stuff. It bursts out specifically at targets that he feels. And the thing is, 
when you're chasing a suspect and he has not gone through due process, you beating him up is a problem. That is a problem. That's the root source of why he needs to be in therapy. I like that he as a cop was sat down on that chair and asked, does this happen? And it was very clear from the scene that this is wrong. It should not be happening. I'm done. <laughs> Go on, Isa. So it sounds like a really healthy drama. How many episodes have you watched, Burma? Uh, eight, I think. Yeah. So I felt all of that really strongly, especially about like the police brutality stuff. My issue comes from the fact that in one of the recent episodes, so he's been kind of like low key investigating the case that got him kicked out. Yeah. Because the way that it was handled, he got kind of blamed for everything. And they didn't even believe that they were actually going after a real drug dealer. They were like kind of framing him for doing other things. And so basically in the later episodes, I finished up to like the end of 11 Uh. and he kind of gets vindicated that drug target or whatever was actually a drug lord, whatever, like, and then the way they sort of expose what happened and like what the true story was, it really vindicates his perspective. And so even though they're not saying Yes, he was right to beat up those people, but it's kind of implied that like his instincts are correct. Uh. And it undermines a little bit that whole narrative of like, you shouldn't have gotten angry, you shouldn't have beat up this person. I don't really like that because I do feel like it sort of undermines that whole aspect of like really taking to account the fact that like these police officers are doing all kinds of bad things and they need to be held accountable in a way that I was disappointed by, to be honest, when like the drama was doing so well in a really great and unusual way oh i don't know how it's gonna end i might be wrong like i'm gonna obviously we're gonna finish it because we're really enjoying it but like that was a little disappointing yeah especially because they had scenes with his captain basically saying we could have busted this gang if you hadn't just like been impulsive and taken your team into a situation that we didn't have eyes on like his captain had asked him to come back but he had taken his team in there and gotten one of his teammates severely injured right like this whole time his captain's been like you're like you're wrong your instincts are wrong like you have to follow this procedure and like not just like go by your instincts but then like a he's like been told multiple times not to investigate this case because he's on leave and he keeps investigating it Um, And then he gets vindicated. (laughs) And like, it turns out his instincts were right all along. And you're like, but no. Mm, mm." Like you have, Uh, you have, um, uh, so bad with names. You have Cho Jung-sook's character doing extra authority investigation in Forest of Secret series too. But he never does stuff like this. Cho Sung-woo, sorry. Why am I bad with names? Cho (laughs) Sung-woo's character. You know what I mean? Like he he doesn't do things that are like uh, blocking the actual investigation or like putting people's lives in danger or beating people up for that matter. Yeah, he's very careful about that. And like when he does do something bad he like immediately takes responsibility and like confesses and he like deals with whatever he needs to deal with <sighs> yeah but anyway like that's my one caveat i really love it also wanted to give a shout out to suhyun's character who is um like suhyun convenience from store. Akdong musician yes. yes she works in the convenience store i really like yes, her so she's do I. like she has excellent side eye she does <laughs> a plus <laughs> Yeah, I just love the tone of this show so much. It's like it's like exactly my tone, like the tone that I love. So right, I I, very, I just looked funny. this up and I wanted to uh, put it in here. So the queer character is played by An Woo Hyun, uh, sorry An Woo Yeon, and his um, and their name is Sang Yop or Samantha. Thanks. So the next one is imitation, and 
I like my first thoughts for this is just this drama is so cute. I mean, the characters here are so cute. <laughs> they're cute with each other and, and they're cute as individuals. I really like it. The first episode was especially interesting. Um, I think the uh, later episodes kind of become more traditional K-drama, romancy. But because the first episode was all about world building, establishing these characters in the idol world and what aspiring idols are hoping, what they are going through, the really, really crappy situation that idols have to tolerate, not idols, like trainee idols have to uh, Hmm. tolerate until they launch. But also launching isn't enough. You have to have like a good marketing team and most of the time your company doesn't have the budget to market you or even the will to market you so even if you're launched that doesn't mean success it's very possible that you're gonna tank right and nobody gets paid you're just you're you're spending your youth in this every day in the training room hoping your company can support you nobody gets paid until they start making money for the company It's a super, super exploitative situation, which we all know about. But see, this is why I wanted to see a drama based on the idol industry, because there is just so much drama here. I do not understand why there are not more shows. (laughs) There's so much to talk about. Yeah, there's so much to explore. Probably we wouldn't want to expose a lot of that, too. I mean... I, I suppose, but, right? but they but they expose so much. I have a theory. Gone. That's industry. Yeah, no, I have a theory. So like the big uh NOG, like the big company yeah. here is obviously such an analog for YG. And like YG is like tanked <laughs> in its reputation, so they can like uh, easily and fully mock yeah. YG, right? Because like it like YG, like the man has been in the news constantly. Mm. He keeps getting arrested for new things. Like Isn't it funny how I mean, not funny, but it's like it's so interesting the way that dramas plunder current affairs and news for the <laughs> storylines and characters. Like in Taxi Driver, um, they had this whole storyline that was based on a real life case that was really dreadful, yeah. actually. But it was so it was so almost beyond belief how I mean, like you you would look at it and you'd be like, you couldn't make this stuff up. And turns out they didn't. That's how weird it was. Yeah, no, it's definitely a time-honored tradition to be, like, pulling this, these cases for real life. Law school does that, too. Um, and here, the reason I say it's YG is because there's, like, one scene where, like, the manager of this fancy group who Shacks. is in this... Uh, called Shacks. Yeah, they're like, why are you leaving, like, the fancy cafeteria that we have downstairs <laughs> and, like, ordering jajang? And I was like, who's famous for their fancy cafeteria? <laughs> definitely YG. So I was like, yeah, that's definitely the, the agency. And I also, like, I agree with everything you said, Borma, like... It's very cute. It's very interesting. It deals with like all the stuff that we've wanted to see on screen. And I also like that they have like a big fancy agency and then they have like a medium sized agency and then they have a small, crappy, (laughs) super shady agency. Um, And we know that like they all kind of have different dynamics and we get to see trainees from all of them. So that I like a lot. That's something new. Yeah. And the thing is, I didn't know that. I just thought that big agencies are all there is, but it makes total sense that agencies would just mushroom up because everybody's hoping for that one you know hit band that just takes off and makes the agency big right and there are a ton of these like small predatory agencies run by like basically con men who don't give a crap about the kids and they're just like trying to you know like there's that one scene where the uh, depot of the small company is like you know, like they're literally about to debut and then they can't debut. And then he's like, just get rid of them. Like we can easily make more kids like that anytime. Yeah. Just grab. Them. And I was like, wow, this 
exactly the attitude that these kind of people have, you know. Pretty much. And and the thing is, so the, I, I don't want to get too much into the story because it's actually pretty interesting the way it's done. It's primarily focused on uh, Jong Jisoo's uh, she's an aspiring trainee. By the way, Jong Jisoo, it took me a second to recognize her, but this is Sonia Shin from Doom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and she's also the, the kid who's being tutored in Parasite. Yeah. Yeah, man, she is having, I think out of all the Parasite cast members, she's having like the most meteoric rise in her career, which makes sense because she was basically an unknown before that, right? That, that, this is kind of amazing. But then she looks so different in these different dramas that it takes you a moment to recognize her. <laughs> yeah. And she looks substantially different here than she does in Doom, which clearly was shot at a different time, maybe because something about like her face is rounder her hair is longer she looks very different well, she's it's wearing just... a wig in doom she's got a horrible wig dr chi please be proud of she me a horrible i have wig. recognized the wig <laughs> yes she also has a horrible wig in imitation in the beginning she does she does thankfully she she cuts her hair short pretty quickly <laughs> what was it <laughs> right so it, it, it just it, i really like her trajectory because she's a trainee with hopes of debuting she almost debuts but something horrible happens and then she just like sinks into obscurity for three years but she can't give up on her dream completely so she tra- takes these bit role performances on stage she just has this one imitation of this very famous pop singer that she does and she becomes like someone who's invited to these uh, small stage thingies where like all of these adushis are watching and she's basically regional festivals regional festivals thanks so that's she she earns a little bit because she goes to these uh, shows and basically just imitates her uh, like there is a bit that the pop star does and she basically does the same bit and that's it that's her life she this is not what she wanted to do, but she just refuses to give up for the longest time until something happens and she she gets abandoned by her manager and she's like, well, fine, I guess I'll just give up now. I mean, I might be too old for the idol industry, but for the rest of the world, I'm still really young. And she's like 22 at this point. Only the very next day, she gets a call from this guy who's just started a new agency and he used to work for Shax, which is like the biggest band. It's basically the BTS of this world. And they and, and this guy is like, so he invites her and two other girls who were part of her original band. And now they call themselves Tea Party. They used to call themselves Omega 3. And he's like, well, not only. <laughs> Terrible name, yeah. I have to say. <laughs> I know, I know. But I kind of like how they they, they do the uh, ring thing. So the Tea Party is like... Um, you can say it backwards and forwards exactly ah, the same way. So it's halidrim. like a halidrim, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's cute. The point is that the thing that makes him, the CEO, different from other agencies, and the reason I find this very interesting, is that he's like, well, I'm going to take the three of you, and I am going to... And he was a very successful manager when he just stopped and disappeared for three years. And there's a reason he disappeared. We haven't gone into that much yet. And he's like, I will do things my own way, you have to trust me, but I will pay you a salary, which is like unheard of. So one of the first things he does to launch them into like public eye is basically not take them into a variety show and do an introduction dance thingy. Instead, he takes them to a talk show where they are basically interviewed by the anchor as these idol trainees who are paid a salary. He uses that to push them into the public. I just thought that was so smart. And the CEO is like really strategic about how to market them. But where the story, of course, becomes traditional is 
that one member of Shaq's and Jong Ji So's <laughs> character, which is Maha, they start making eyes at each other. But you know, it's idol industry. Neither of them can date. Here is Tea Party, who's rising in popularity, and here is Shaq's, who's basically the lording mm. over the king of the castle and all of that stuff. So neither can date. So anyway, the thing is, I thought this was a really great setup for like a Romeo Juliet situation where the the managers opposing their love is more powerful than any parental opposition would be. But <laughs> the manager literally like you have signed contracts, you cannot date. There will be consequences, and they're sh- really really scared of consequences. But they can't stop you know thinking about each other, trying to contact each other. Anyway. Cute so far. Let's see where it goes. I I kind of really like what they are showing of the you know the world and of these characters so far. Nice. I haven't gotten that far, but it sounds really interesting and good. So I'm gonna keep watching. You've sort of convinced me to pick it up. Yeah. Damn you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I wouldn't think this was the kind of drama you'd watch, Saya. Uh, you do not know my flightiest sides. I'm sure you do. <laughs> I suppose. I'm extremely I flighty. I think you I would tend really to enjoy reading those more. Yeah, then, uh, yeah. I, I think you would really like the overall cast of character too. Like not just these two, but like the whole cast, the, the other band members of each band, the managers, the the CEO, and all of that. I, I just think it just it's a really entertaining cast overall. Yeah, I mean, whenever there's a novel like this, I I read it. <laughs> like I just really enjoy that kind of thing. <laughs> nice. Okay. Hopefully, we can reconvene having all watched a decent chunk of it. With this, been a while since we all watched one show. <laughs> Tell me about it. All right, so I saw people raving about Move to Heaven on like Twitter and stuff. So I actually started it with my whole family, like my dad, my mom, my sister. It's unusual that I get my dad to watch some watch a K drama. Like he That's will so occasionally nice. watch one. Um, yeah, I actually recommended Vincenzo to my parents, and like they loved it. But anyway, so I started Move to Heaven, and I don't know if it's because like everyone had hyped it up so much, um, or if I would have felt this way anyway. But like it was just very slow the main characters who are like the autistic son his name is guru and then he has his father who um he loses his father like really early on and then his uncle gets out of jail and he's his guardian but like the uncle doesn't want to be his guardian he hated his brother so there's a whole thing of you know it's like it's a very predictable setup like obviously they'll come to love each other and then he'll actually want to be his guardian they'll become a real family and then um guru has a friend that lives across the street called namu and it's funny because both of their names mean tree and they're best friends. And she's just like his one advocate who will like do anything to protect him from the world. And it's like so cute. I just love her. I love their friendship. I love how she like calls out the uncle at every opportunity for like being a terrible guardian. She's like, I'm watching you. How old are the characters? Uh, they're 20. Oh, not yeah. kids. <laughs> they're kids to me. Yes. <laughs> so the whole thing is how they like go in and clean up the left behind belongings of um, deceased people who don't really have a family to do that or the family is terrible and they don't want to do that so they've hired out a company to do it like for example there's this one where it was like an old woman who died of dementia like alone in a terrible apartment and like her son couldn't care less and so he's just like move all of her stuff and give me any money that she has I don't know about I mean I like the idea of like giving dignity to someone who wasn't really appreciated while they're alive and like being really respectful of what they left behind and trying to like recognize that but The way it was executed didn't really work for me because I didn't find a lot of these cases of the week that interesting. There were a couple that were, that were like moving. I don't remember a lot of them now, but what particularly stands out is one like kindergarten teacher who was killed by her stalker, but it was like presented as her ex-fiance and 
So no, like nobody cared and nobody helped her. Um, and so that was like a pretty good depiction of like what happens in these types of situations when like violence against women is just ignored by everybody around them. But also like there's this conceit where they have this little square box that's like the size of like the box that they take when they get fired and they have to like, carry out their belongings like that size box. And so basically like they choo- pick and choose the belongings that they think are important. They put them in that box and then they give it to like whatever family member they can find or whatever person they can find who was like close to the person who died. Often that person doesn't want it. But it's just like really arbitrary that like whatever's important to that person, A, you'll be able to find it not knowing them and not being able to talk to them and B, that like it would be able to fit inside that box and like throw away everything else. So that didn't really work for me. Um, But what did work for me and then like this is what kind of the last four episodes are so focused on is like the relationship between the kid and his uncle and then like the backstory of like what happened with the uncle and like why he went to jail and then like this an Ijeo cameo which made me forgive him for um the drama that shall not be named and I love him again now that whole backstory and then like the backstory of the two brothers like Guru's dad and his uncle and like what happened between them and that part was really really good and so like at the end of the drama I was happy but I just wasn't really feeling the whole trauma cleaner stuff that didn't really work for me so it was a very uneven weird experience but Ide Hoon as like a scruffy cage fighter with a bad haircut and like dead eyes but with a secret mushy heart inside it really works for me <laughs> I gotta say is that reason enough to watch it oh yeah yeah okay. I mean I maybe watched the first six episodes at 1.25 speed <laughs> <laughs> that's what I did okay. at a certain point but yeah. yeah, that's recommendation enough for me. Also, the um, the kid who plays Guru, I should look up his name. He's also the, one of the main characters in Racket Boys. Oh. His name is Tang Jun Sang. He was really, really good. I liked him a lot. He was adorable. And Ji Jin, he plays the the father. Oh, yeah. The father who passed away early on. Yeah. It's also got Soo Young in it as a social worker. She like shows up during some cases and like Lee Jae Hoon kind of has a crush on her. It's really cute. Aw. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that does sound oh, yeah. really cute. Oh, the other uh, the other case that I had forgotten about is it deals with an adoptee who was basically like he got adopted to the U.S. and then his parents never filed for his citizenship papers. And so he became stateless and he got deported. And then when he returned to Korea because he didn't have any kind of papers, like he wasn't able to get Korean citizenship either. And like this is a really big problem that's happened to a lot of people like international adoptees to the U.S. that get deported and they have like basically no status. And then they just become like nationless people with nothing. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's happened to quite a few people. And like I think it's a really important issue to highlight. So I liked that. That I think that's one of the things that was I was feeling kind of mixed on is like it did highlight issues that society needs to know more about but it also kind of like was a little too preachy and too slow at times and I was like this is not really entertaining Mm. but I did find the adoptee story like super moving and well done that one was not preachy at all it was it was really really good okay that's my final thought so before we move on to like our closing shows I want to just say that I've been catching up with shows that I paused uh, earlier in the year, month, season, decade. I don't know. It's been a long time. Um, <laughs> so I picked up I picked up Vincenzo again, having forgotten about it after I first watched it. But, you know, sometimes you just need something really light and easy uh, to watch while you're eating and not having to make manic notes over it. Of course, it didn't end that way. But <laughs> so <laughs> I started Vincenzo again. Oh, my God, it's just so funny. Why is it so funny? And I'm watching it alone and it's like 1 a.m. And I'm just... How 
crying with laughter and nobody to share it with. Like, can, like, you know, like uh, the whole thing about the philosophical problem of the tree falling in the forest and, you know, if there's nobody there to hear it, did it really fall? Um, I mean, did it really make a noise? Like, is it really funny? Like, is the humor true if I am only watching it alone and no one is here to witness how funny it is? <laughs> you need to watch this show with people. Yeah. <sighs> That's all I have I know, to say. I- <laughs> My my sister was kind of in the middle of like exam stress when we when we started this. It was just a really stressful time, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Let's just watch one episode. I think you're really gonna like it." Because I had watched six episodes, and so like we like binge watched like four episodes on that <laughs> Saturday. Yeah, and then I told my parents to watch it, and they also watched it together. Uh, and it is really perfect to yeah. watch with somebody. So I feel for you. I feel so cheated watching it alone. <laughs> like. This isn't right. I, mean, I did really enjoy your voice voice notes after watching like every funny moment, and then sending us these voice notes where you're just, like incomprehensible with laughter. That was great. I just I relived I had the to joy. Share it, and I had nobody to share it with. That's all. <laughs> and now we can go on to other law things that are perhaps not as funny. Yeah, I I, I just wanted to say that this what's his name song what. Song Joongi. <laughs> I just want to say that while I've, I've kind of like Song Joongi in other roles, Vincenzo just elevates this guy. I was kind of like in two minds about his acting abilities before, but like he's so entertaining here mm-hmm. that I have like this feeling of just goodwill towards him, no matter what kind of actor he turns out to be later on. Is- this is kind of, we touched on this in uh, an earlier episode, but it's kind of the problem, isn't it, with actors who are good looking is that the productions tend to bank on their looks when yeah. they can really trust in their talents. And it's like, yeah. that holds them back. True. And he hasn't gotten such a good role and something that like allows him to stretch this much since his role in Sungyung Kwan yes, scandal which like he got exactly a really good role because he was a side of. character and he got to be like funny and interesting and he got to be dark and, and kind of yeah 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 <laughs> like so he got to do a lot of things yeah and since then he's been playing like these stereotypical male heroes that are just like not that interesting descendants really stereotype them yeah because he yeah exactly like, because he ascended to the hero level at that point because Sungyung Kwan scandal he was not a leading actor at that point but no, that was wasn't. the role that sort of catapulted him into lead territory. And, you know, once that happened, your roles get less interesting, which is always sad. True. Yeah. No, it's perfect. The better and looking you are, the sadder it is. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's not feel too sorry for yeah, people I mean, who are extremely beautiful I beyond any reason. I feel sorry for me who wants better dramas. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. <laughs> I, I did unfavorably compare this show to Vincenzo in my recaps. So let's go on to law school, <laughs> which was trying to be a nuanced exploration of trying to achieve justice from within the law. And ah, that part, I don't really think it succeeded on. But like, I did really enjoy. So I'm just going to talk briefly about this because I've written a lot about it. If you want to, you can go read my reviews of it. But like, I just feel like there were two parts of this drama. One was kind of like the main case and everything that had to do with that plot line. And then there were the characters and the characters were written really, really well. But the plot was not written that well. It somehow managed to be like really confusing and boring at the same time. (laughs) It's like the worst combination. Yeah. And like it it was taking on too many issues that it couldn't really bring home in in a satisfying way. The only exception is... There's a plot line around the character named Yesu. So it stars Kim Bum and Kim Young Min and Ryu Hae Young. 
But I really liked Yeso's character, who's like one of their study group friends. Uh, the actress's name is Ko Yoon Jung. And her whole storyline was about an abusive boyfriend who beats her up. And he also threatens her and blackmails her with like a spy cam video that he took of like of them during an intimate moment. And like the way they dealt with that was excellent. And probably the best exploration of domestic violence that I've seen or I guess it would be intimate partner violence that I've seen in a K-drama. And that kind of came to its zenith in episode 12. And episode 12 is like a great episode. The rest of it was like, okay, but I enjoyed it because like Ryu Young and Kim Bum are like so cute. Like there isn't an explicit romance between them, but like I was stripping them so hard and like all the law school stuff about how like stressed out the students are and how hard they're working and how difficult it is. And, you know, kind of like the inequality in educational access, depending on your class and how that works out when you're like in this kind of institution, like that all, that was all really good. And the characters, the actors all did a really good job. So it was kind of an uneven viewing experience. I know there are like people who are big fans of this show. I wouldn't really go that far. Um, I don't think I would say it was like a great drama, but there were aspects of it that I enjoyed. I read your final review and I was like, this sounds like a mess, but I'm glad you enjoyed it in the end. (laughs) Though perhaps it came at too steep a price. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I haven't enjoyed Kim Bum this much in a while. And and Kim Young Min's like stern mentor with good intentions who ends up teaching you a lot of lessons. Uh, character is like very on brand for him. And it's also like super enjoyable to watch. So yeah, I don't think it was a waste to watch it. But I just, I wasn't like blown away by it. <laughs> I think, well, okay, if you love courtroom drama, the court scenes were actually pretty well done. And they were fun to watch. So if that's your like personality, like you enjoy that kind of stuff, then I would recommend it. Otherwise, probably not. For people like me who once dreamed of going to law school, I think there's like more enjoyment to be had. <laughs> Should I go for a hospital playlist? Now? Yeah, best till last. I I purposely saved this for you to to close on because I thought that would make you really happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that was a good choice. I am very happy. The first season ended on kind of happy notes for some characters, kind of slightly cliffhangery notes for other characters and like a question on some relationships and stuff. Basically, it wasn't the cheerest ending, but it was a happy ending of sorts or a happy pause. The first episode of season two, though, is just out and out cheerful and happy and we are back in the world of just (laughs) doctors being the most awesome and nice and sensitive and good and you're like in the warmest room with like broth in front of you pure fantasy then (laughs) 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 i mean she's not wrong right (laughs) it's pure fantasy but it's it's like it's the thing that i was waiting for right yeah, like, I mean, I, I would rather this than fantasies about other worlds where, I don't know, uh, Imino is king. So, you know, <laughs> just... You say you that there. like you don't like the world where Imino is king, I, I, I like it. I do. I can't deny it. But I'm just saying that this, it, it just, it's so warm when you watch it because... It's not like the world is not imperfect. It's not like people are the doctors and the nurses aren't careless. But our our main five are just so good and so compassionate and they're wonderful teachers. They catch those moments of neglect, of carelessness, of uh, um, misunderstanding by other residents, nurses, etc. And they correct them. Okay, because these five are just... 
I don't know Jesus in a lab coat. I I don't know what they are like all messiahs. <laughs> But I I say this with with no like mal intention in my heart. Like I'm not being malicious here. I I like watching such uncynically good people on my screen. The fact that they love each other so much and that their entire world is about just doing good and being really good at what they do. They genuinely all of them love their work and and they want to make sure that they are the best at it and they are these all of these characters are 40 at this point I think. So they have a lot of experience that they can pass on. They are they are just good sunbays, they they they're good seniors, they're good teachers. and they are good doctors so sometimes they are doctors who manage to save patients that nobody else can save <laughs> but it's just a um, like there is for instance in this first episode there is this one case where our resident meena she is assisting this one doctor who is basically taking care of this pregnant woman who very early in her pregnancy goes through something like she might actually lose her child because the fetus is not developed enough to breathe on its own if something happens anyway the point is that this first doctor goes well the child can't be saved so let's just focus on your health and this woman is like we went through like a lot to conceive the child i want to change the doctor and they change the doctor to uh Sukyung which is Kim Dae-myung's character and Sukyung comes in and he looks at the same chart the same situation and goes like there is a slim chance of survival but let's go for it and then Meena's looking at her two charts so she created the first chart for you know the first doctor where she's basically because the doctor looked at it in such a grim practical way her chart turned out that way as well and then she's looking at the second report she created after So Kyung came and you know gave his uh, prognosis, and that's a totally different chart. Like it's more optimistic. It doesn't look so grim, dark. And Mina showing the same chart to Gyoul, and Gyoul is like, "Well, that first situation is not so good. It probably won't turn out well. Second situation is kind of hopeful. She thinks they're two different cases, and the entire point of it is that depending on how compassionate and invested your doctor is, your situation mm-hmm. might turn out drastically different." And it's interesting. I love that. I like that a lot. Yeah. This is the kind of thing I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but yeah. But you I like that a lot. You see why I just adore this series despite its super idealistic way of looking at it because I don't think at the end of the day they're saying that doctors are gods and always right. I think what they're saying is that this group of five doctors just happened to be like I ideals of what doctors should be. and if they were running things this is how things would turn out to be yes it's a bit of a savior storyline where like one per- one good person saves everyone even though the system is rotten uh, too ideal i know it's fairy tale but like i i don't mind. sometimes it's the fairy tale you need right <laughs> yeah no i mean i think so like sorry i didn't mean to like be um dismissive of how much you're enjoying the show and i also actually really do enjoy that part of it like my issues with Season one, we're all about like Gil's relationship with um Han Jung Hwan. <laughs> That's a se- separate thing. But I-, I do feel like this is like a non problematic aspirational heroism type mm. of medical drama because they do have bad doctors. There are bad doctors, and they show how they can harm people. It's just that the five main characters are like angels among the rest of these humans, and I mean, <laughs> it is nice to see that. Like, I- and I'm just personally triggered by doctors. That in a way that has entirely to do with my own history with them, and that's just that's just a reason why I don't really watch a lot of medical dramas. But like, 
I do, I do really like them. And like for me, the draw is really the friendship between the five of them. The romances, I'm like, okay, whatever. Like I can live with it or without it. But the friendship, the friendship is not so just. Good. I know, I know. And when you start with the season, is there's basically been about a week that has passed. And of course, it's Jo Jung So's character that references that a year <laughs> passed in a week. <laughs> And it's That's like a, pretty funny. it's a full-on meta <laughs> reference that he does with like yeah. a wink wink nod out thing. And it's just it's it's super cute. And only he can pull it off. He just ah Yeah, they really liked out with this cast. Because right. the cast is perfect. I'm, I'm a bit mad for this cast. Um but also the Kyol and um Jungwon uh, relationship thing. I was really concerned about how they were going to tackle that going forward. How they tackle that is that their relationship hasn't actually changed much. <laughs> but it's been a week. It's been a so. week. So they are going on their first date and Yoel is still treating him as a senior doctor, not really a boyfriend. They're having a date and she's asking him medical questions. <laughs> and he's trying to be all like affectionate and caring and like she's receiving it, but she's a very practical, no-nonsense character. That hasn't changed about her, which I really like. And now that her feelings aren't like clouding every moment with him anymore, now that she's secure that he likes her, at least in the first episode, things are a little more even keel. In that she is still continuing on her on with her life. She has a lot of work. She works because she is resident in a program where there aren't a lot of residents. She's overworked. She has other conflicts. Like even in the first episode, she has this entire other thing that she has to deal with that she asks uh, Jungwon advice from because Jungwon is a considerably older character and he can give her good advice on this and he does and things work out. It just, I'm okay with it if this is how they are going to progress with the relationship because I was really worried about the whole power dynamic thing. They, I would really, really appreciate it if they address the power dynamic, like the the difference b- between like a senior, senior doctor and a very young resident um, in a, being in a relationship. Right now, they are kind of in relationship, but kind of hiding it. But Jungwon is basically like, I'm going to be telling my friends next week and you can tell whoever you like, I don't really mind. But just for the professional thing, they're kind of not doing it in public. But with these secret relationships, when there is such a difference in power, conflict will arise in the natural course of things. So that's what I think is going to happen in the rest of the um, season. Did we mm. mention that we're just one episode in on the show? <laughs> one episode, but 90 minutes. <laughs> it felt like a movie. Yeah. One movie. One movie in. One movie yeah. In. No, I saw it had come out. I think it was Friday and I was going to watch it. And then like my sister was busy and I was like, let me just wait for her. So I haven't seen it yet, but I'm definitely going to be starting it. Yeah. After I come back from my vacation. Surprising absolutely no one though. I'm going to spoil this because it wasn't much of a spoiler to begin with. <laughs> ah, June once that whole thing where he, the, he sends a ring to his um, Iksun his girlfriend and the ring returns that's a great cliffhanger did she break up with him why am i no no her her neighbor sent it back like she wasn't at home so it, it got sent back that's it that's that's the fake out <laughs> oh yeah right they're still doing that <laughs> i totally forgot about that i don't know what this writer's and director's thing is with these fake outs that like nobody cares about and nobody's actually that invested in and like and that nobody trusts them because they're, they've done but this so many times I, like just I, stop i was still surprised <laughs> I thought that was going to be a relationship development thingy because they'd built it up so much in the final episode. That's what they wanted you to think, Burma. I mean, 
maybe on some <laughs> level, but like I also just don't trust them anymore. I'm like a, I'm like they've been I've been betrayed too many times. We are wary watchers now. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, yeah. the wary watchers. There you go. That's our new name. Yeah, it just annoys me because like they're so good at what they're really good at that like they don't need to do anything else. You know. Yeah. It's enough. Agreed. Already. Do you think it's like a compulsion and they just can't stop themselves? Yes. <laughs> yes, I think. No, and I also think that it's like they're under the mistaken impression that that's what keeps viewers coming back every time is like, who's the husband? Who's the husband? But like, they never actually dropped that conceit. Otherwise, they would see that people will still come and watch their stuff even if they didn't have that. And we're watching it like despite that and not because of it. <laughs> but Adisa, maybe that is what you think. But remember, their stories have no conflict whatsoever. <laughs> if there wasn't even this. <laughs> but if they didn't have a history of this kind of manipulative yeah. um, uh, bait... Bait and switch. ...thing. Yeah. Yeah then it might be more effective but they've overused like it they they are not using yeah. this device in a judici- in a judicious way true restraint you know less is more but at this point i i don't even think they expect us to be su- surprised the way they do it in very silly moments as anisa said it's not even like really big surprises they are, they are often just very silly things that you wouldn't <laughs> think requires a fake out but like it causes that momentary conflict and because it it provides them um, clips for the next week's preview where you're like this conflict Uh, is going to happen and then it does not happen at all (laughs) yeah it's not real conflict yeah I guess that's one of those things where like maybe it's like your mileage may vary like it just annoys me because I feel manipulated but maybe Mm. some people really do enjoy that who knows I, I feel like the writers are having too much fun they're having too much fun but also I think they, they, they I am in on the joke with them like once I realize oh it's another fake out I'm like <laughs> ah, they do that often I know them <laughs> I feel like it loses any power it might have once it loses the novelty factor because like that's, even yeah, trying to I guess feel. it because I find and not just in because I haven't been watching these um, for a while but like in other dramas when you know they're doing this to make you come back next week at some point you get wise to it and you're like, you're just, you are faking me out. And then I figure out the what really happened and it turns out to be true. But it's not fun. But, 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 but the reason this doesn't annoy me or at least bore me is because I always want to figure out how they are faking me out. Like what excuse <laughs> are they going to use to smooth over what you said the misunderstanding was last week? I want to because it's usually interesting. They don't actually do like just like a, a, a lazy writing thing. They they actually make it either funny. They'll use like mm-hmm. some like some really tense moment happens and the scene ends. And then when it resumes in the next episode, someone just says something really quippy that is actually funny and the tension breaks. <laughs> and it's entertaining to watch for me as Anissa said your mileage may vary yeah Mm. and I think it works better when it's like a humor used in a humorous way but when it's used for like serious drama and tension yeah yeah, then it doesn't work for me and I feel manipulated true my final point before (laughs) we end this is so Che Song Ha's character was supposed to move away uh, at the end of the last uh, season, which she does. And she's supposed to go somewhere else, do like a less uh, tense job because she got hurt. So she was supposed to like recover for a while, take a break for a year and then come back. And Jo Jung Sook's character, um, Ik Jun, sorry. Ik Jun was really unhappy about that. So he went and like confessed his love sort of in a sideways manner where he's like, I have a friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh anyway so things got a bit like 
it's one of those situations where she hasn't answered him yet so uh, i won't spoil what happens but like they they have that situation initially where it's when they are in a friends group they are perfectly normal but when they're alone awareness of that conversation creeps in and it's just these two actors just do it so well the but the point i was trying to make is that songa is technically supposed to be away but she's in seoul so often because she has to take on emergency cases that it's almost like she has not left so what was the point of the great tragedy of her leaving <laughs> well i mean it's only been a week He's <laughs> finally been pushed to confess his 20-year-old crush. That was the point. Right. Actually, that's a good point. And after yeah. they were going, they would be 60 and, and playing, what is it called? Mahjong. And Still playing house, but pretending to be best friends. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Gosh, that that one scene in season like one, basically his son's stepmom at this point. I mean, like it's just that that scene in 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 there in in um Ikjun's home, right, where his son is sick and she's there and they having dinner together. Oh, I love that scene. Uh, that was so nice. The mm. like in silence, it told us more uh, about their relationship than like all the dialogue that they'd had up to that point. Jo Jung Suk's eyes, the way he looks at her. Someone should like bottle it and sell it for millions. <laughs> stick his eyeballs in amber. <laughs> yeah, like stick a fork in me. I'm done. <laughs> I like how Anissa, you've developed a um, uh, it's not a history, but a um, like a brand. A, a brand. There you go. That's the, exactly the word. A brand of like having things stuck in you <laughs> for dramas. <laughs> That sounds terrible. <laughs> I'm pretty sure once every, at least once a month, you come out with this perfect, like, kill me now line. And I've just been enjoying them by myself <laughs> all this time. But I, I feel like I needed to to say that it was a thing because I enjoy it so much. <laughs> now it's something we've all been alerted to. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to feel weird and never say it again. <laughs> I also like I feel like I spaz a lot on here and it's funny because in my real life quote unquote real life people think I'm serious <laughs> tell but them I'm to so go listen to your here. podcast right I never giggle as much as I giggle with y'all uh, yeah I get my week's quota of laughter out in these recordings and then I'm just like grim again <laughs> yes and and that's and it's time for more laughter because it's time for our joke. Oh, okay. Let's do it. Let's see how clever we can be today. I never get these. <laughs> so I have my little I have my little notebook with um, <laughs> no, with with jokes that my niece and nephew have told me. Oh, cool. That have, that I've been saving up for you guys. I need to see these in writing. I think this is really good since we this might be a hint. So I'll tell you which drama it's referencing after you solve the riddle. Or actually, the name of it is actually in the joke, so I'll just tell you. So this is kind of a reference to Vincenzo. <laughs> so I'm going to use this one. And I also think it's hilarious that my five-year-old nephew told me this because, like, he has no idea what this even is, but he has it memorized. So what's the difference between a hippo and a zippo? Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. A hippo and a zippo. Like, it has something to do with the Z, right? Like, because... Uh, this is hard. <laughs> Once again, bested by the five-year-old. Thank you, Zaid. As we often are. Difference between hippo and a zippo. What is a zippo, though? A zippo is the little lighter that Vincenzo has like oh, 18 million of. okay. And you know what's funny? Um, 
Sewing Book also has one in Doom at Your Service. And Jugnada also has one in Sell Your Haunted House. There's like also a, a really important, there's a moment of uh, lighter in um, voice. It plays but a it key role. But it is that gold Zippo, because all three of the others carry like a gold Zippo lighter. I think it was gold, yes. Oh, oh we don't call I guess them that's zippers. that's like the spring-summer item of the, <laughs> oh, oh, that's oh, the brand. Oh, 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 nevertheless, nevertheless also has one. Sorry, go on. <laughs> I, like, I like how this has become a game of like spot the zipper. I'm like so interested in why this suddenly became a thing. Like, is Zippo investing a lot of money in Korean uh, advertisements? Like, have they suddenly entered the Korean market? Who knows? Or maybe it's a different brand that is not even called Zippo. Okay, difference between Hippo and Zippo. One puts out f- fire. I don't know. No, that's not. <laughs> Do you give up? I give up. I I give up, but I don't want to give up. <laughs> I know you don't want to give up. <laughs> one is heavier and one is a little lighter. Oh, oh. Pretty good, right? That was good, Zay. That was good. That was really good. Too good. I haven't ever figured that out. That that was good. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I, I would like to think that I would have, but yeah, I don't see that I would have figured that out. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't have. <laughs> Also, like, there was one month where, like, I looked up riddles on the Google, and they were, like, much easier. And then, like, <laughs> the were, ones that my niece and nephew them. gave, yeah, they're so hard and so funny. So, like, kudos to them. I don't know which book they have that they get th- get these from, but... That was good. Kindergartners have pants. high standards for their jokes, man. I mean... <laughs> they're complex. They are much more complex than I am. <laughs> yeah. Also, now that I think back on it, the kids in my kindergarten who, and also like the very low, low grades, like grade one, grade two, who were really funny, they always had a bunch of jokes they could tell. And that's what made the other students gravitate towards them. So, you know, it's actually The funny kid is the popular kid. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's, uh, let's wrap up here. This is a proper long yet, guys. So yeah, you got a you got a woolly mammoth after quite a while. It's a good, or maybe a shaved one since it's like way too hot and everyone should oh, no. just shear off the. <laughs> no, no, nobody wants Why? a shaved yak. That's a terrible mental image. Yaks are cute because of their scruffy hair. Okay, we're getting too much off topic. You can find us on Twitter at Dramas Overflow. And you can find me on Twitter at Anisakalifa underscore. You can find me at NotNowSire. And you can find me, Borma, at FestaFasta. You can find our Instagram at dramasoverflowers underscore. And you can email us at dramasoverflowers at gmail.com. And do email us. <laughs> and you yes, can, we love emails. You can find us on Facebook. Just search Dramas Over Flowers. And you can find our website at dramasoverflowers.net where we have reviews and other fun stuff. Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Yay. <sighs> yeah, we're done yakking. It's finally. <laughs> Thanks for <laughs> hanging in there, everyone. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye.